Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Rock. Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are currently listening to the Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 56, Probable Cause. This week, we had a fun read-along with Bob, going over the probable cause affidavit that was filed by Detective Gary LeClaire. A judge reviewed the presented PCA that ultimately led to the arrest of Robert and Christian. As always, I'm joined by Bob Ruff and Janet Varney, and after a quick break, we're going to get into your listener questions. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us today. We've got a, a big group in the chat on YouTube, and we've got a ton of listener questions about this week's episode, the Probable Cause episode. A couple little housekeeping things up front before we, we get into that. Uh, just letting you guys know where things are going. Um, I have made contact. Nicole Carpenter is the person that is going to come on the show and is going to make the present the argument for uh, the, the Robert and Christian's guilt. And we're going to have uh, not a debate, but a discussion about that. Uh, we actually booked it. We were going to record this coming Tuesday for next week. Uh, but this week, so as I mentioned this week, I'm going to start covering the closing arguments. They're very long, and I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm gonna get through the state's closing this week, but I still need to go through the defense closing and then the rebuttal. And there's no way I can get that all done in one week. I asked Nicole if she wanted to go ahead and come on after the state, or wait until after we've heard the rest of the trial. She said she's in no hurry, so we're gonna do that. So uh, it'll be a couple of weeks, but just know that's in the works, and we are communicating, and that'll be coming up very soon. Uh, other bit of housekeeping. A few people asked uh, about the kitten situation. I don't remember if I've talked about it on the show. Definitely in our Patreon hour that we do every week. We have a garage cat that last fall just appeared into our garage and had kittens. And then I spent many months trying to get that cat fixed. Couldn't get an appointment. Uh, had one last week. Was pretty sure she was pregnant. That fell through. We talk about that whole story on the follow-up. But the answer is... Drrr, she had kittens. Uh, we, have, oh. uh, we have a pile, of, another pile of fresh kittens. So if you're anywhere near the Southwest Michigan area and you want a kitten, we'll have it about six to seven weeks. We'll have some uh, oh, available for free. And with that, I promise under 30 seconds and know, I'm at 33. So we're going to move on uh, to the did next she, topic. Did she have them in the same spot as before? Exact same spot. Oh, she's got a little yep. spot. Yep. She's, 
the the vet had me kind of con- kind of convinced that maybe she wasn't pregnant. Maybe yeah. I should bring her in anyway because maybe she was just you know Chubby. there was something wrong with her. Yeah, and uh, and then you know the whole vet thing fell through, and then all of a sudden she disappeared for two days and stopped eating her food, and then reappeared much skinnier with meow meow coming from behind the stack. It's kind of crazy to me that it went from last week she might be pregnant to now you have kittens. I know. That was that. I know that's quickly. a that's a lot to take on, and you were trying to keep that from happening. And I love a kitten. Are I love a cute. cat. I yeah. don't care for either one of them being in my garage. I know. Uh, but actually, I don't mind the cat in the garage. The kittens are the problem. Um, yeah. So hopefully, we'll be able to get rid of those. Have no idea how many there are. They're tucked too far back. Looks like maybe for uh, this week's episode, probable cause. Great. Uh, <laughs> we can get back into the uh, the important stuff and. Uh, uh, Janet, what do you think about the probable cause episode? Uh, I thought it was really interesting. Um, a thing that I had wanted to do, and I so wish that I had time to do it, and I was sort of fantasizing, and maybe someone did this in in the Facebook posted something like this, and I just didn't see it because it wasn't part of the follow up. But um, I wish that I could have had time to sort of write a probable cause affidavit with a few facts changed or omitted the way we see it happen in Leclerc's uh, for someone else as a sort of exercise to say, here's what if you wanted to write a probable cause affidavit for Jacob Santiago and Austin's place, for example, here's all the things you could say about that. And then you could just tweak a couple of extra things to make it seem even more damning. Um, And what would that look like? And I thought that would be just really interesting because I feel like it could be pretty compelling if you had the freedom to sort of tweak a couple of things that would also. be interesting that's a really interesting because as you're saying that i'm thinking could you write one with true facts right for say jacob and i guarantee you you could write one for Jacob. and i'm not saying could, jacob. you could match fact for fact i believe you could match fact for fact the true the true accurate things that were in the affidavit not even counting the things that were inaccurate yeah like you could you could with jacob you could say that you know he he said that he was out of town at this time and his phone records don't match when he said he went out of town. He neglected to mention they'd broke up. They'd broke up to, you know, you know, two days before and, or three days before. And, um, you know, his phone didn't have any service during that time. You could absolutely write one and get it for that. Mm-hmm. And, and you could probably do it with Javier, too, if you omitted some things. You know, right. if you just, you know, as LeClaire did, like if you just failed to mention that his phone was pinging and tower down in the valley during the time of the murders. Right. Um, you could do it. But yeah, that's that's a really interesting point. And again, no that? one's saying that that means that they had anything to do with that. I'm we're, I'm purely saying that as what information if you if you if you want to convince someone of something, what information do you use, not use? Yeah. And how do you, you know, change? How do you drive the narrative in the direction that sure. you want to? So I went a different route this week. I listened to the episode twice. Um, the first time I listened to the episode, just outright listened to what everything was said. The second time I listened to the episode, tried to keep an open mind and tried to ignore everything you said in the episode based on like, I want to hear what was presented to the judge. Sure. And, and honestly, if if you try to keep an open mind and forget everything we've learned this season, I understand why he issued the search warrant. Of course. It yeah. seems very selling. Absolutely. I mean, and that, that was eye opening to me to think about that where... Now we know some of the things that were presented in it were, were just flat out false. But mm-hmm. at the time and just seeing what was presented, it it makes perfect sense that they presented a search Oh, warrant. yeah. I don't fault the judge for approving the warrant based on what LeClaire wrote. It was – there was certainly and, – and, and mind you, the, the burden that he has to reach there is just probable cause. Mm-hmm. They don't, you know, he doesn't have to prove them guilty. He's just saying there's, there's, there's enough reason to believe they could have been involved 
so I want this search warrant to get the evidence to see if they were involved. And the way it was written, yeah, hundred percent. Like, you know, sadly, when you actually go through it, you find out that you know a lot of the stuff that was in there was just not true, and certainly a ton of things were omitted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we have a, we have a, a ton of questions. Um, one of the things that I think it would be nice to start with, if you feel like you can expound just a little bit more on on what we've already talked about with uh, probable causes and with you know search warrants and how to get them. Um, we did have a, a note from Aaliyah saying, you know, for non-Americans or for lay people or for newbies, um, could you explain a little bit more what the affidavit is and uh, and what that process looks like when you're a police officer? Yeah. So in, in order to like you can't um, in the United States, you can't just go into someone's house and search it. You can't take evidence. You can't force someone to give a DNA sample or to give their fingerprints without a court order signed by a judge. And so what the way that process and there has to be, you know, the constitutionally, there has to be a good reason or probable cause for them to sign that order. Like you can't just go to a judge and and be like, Hey, I want to take a DNA sample from Zach. Can you give me a court order to do that? The answer is no, it's an invasion of his privacy. I have to show that I, that there is probable cause that he committed a crime one, two, there is probable cause that the the thing that I am requesting could prove whether or not he did do it. Those are kind of the, the two elements. Uh, that's why you see a lot of the language. If you actually read the the PCA, um, you see a lot of the language where, you know, I know that people tend to keep things from the crime at their house. And therefore, I think if we do the search, we might be able to find the murder weapon or um, we and we found, you know, DNA samples in certain places. And so I want to get their DNA to compare to that to see if they were involved. Um, but the key to all of that, before you get into why you think the the evidence that you're trying to go after will help. First, you have to convince the judge that there is some reason to believe that they have some involvement before they do it. Otherwise, you run, you run into privacy and constitutional violation issues. And, and so you that, don't so, know who the judge is going to be or do you? Like, is it just sort of like he, this is going out to a judge? You're not sure who's going to be the person. Who I think sees they'll that they'll know cause. which because this 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 PCA weirdly was filed at two in the morning. Uh, if you if you read the time on it, it was at two a.m. when it was filed. So th- and that could be maybe that was the shift Leclerc worked. Maybe that's just when he finished whatever it was. Um, but I believe that they like like they'll know like you know, which judge is on duty right now because they'll be they'll be a judge that their job is to you know, take that stuff, you know, while they're while they're on duty to to look at those affidavits and sign those warrants and things like that. And so that um, can happen. That's anytime at night, there will always be someone that is available. Yeah. We've seen it on TV. That. And from what I understand from detectives that I know, like like that, that is pretty accurate where they'd be like, oh, we're going to have to wake the judge oh. up to gotcha. get this thing signed. Well, we talk, I mean, you talk to an officer uh, in, in the in-between season a local officer who had been convicted of of kind of uh, he was convicted and put in prison for lying and and he would talk about calling the judges and having them and waking people up and and having them yeah do exactly this, so. yeah so they'll be you know now would they do that to go get a dna sample no that can you know in a case that's a year old no that could wait till morning if you're dealing with like say this was two days after this crime occurred and you're worried that there's these violent criminals out there and you find some big piece of evidence that you think, okay, we think this is the the violent murderer right here. That might be a wake the judge up and get this done. Um, but yeah, mostly 
I, I don't know why this was filed at two o'clock in the morning, to be honest. But anyway, to, to, to get back to the question. Yeah. So, the, so they just have to present factual, supposed to be factual evidence to the judge that for these reasons, I believe there is a likelihood that these people are responsible for this crime, but I'm not going to be able to prove it unless I get their DNA and fingerprints and search their houses. So I'm asking you to do that. That's the process. Okay. So you made a a couple of comments in the episode itself where you were sort of pointing out that not only were potentially facts uh, or or potential facts about Robert um, maybe tweaked or misinterpreted or mischaracterized, but that there were also other people that were part of this description that LeClaire is giving to the judge to sort of give a context of like, hey, you're hearing about this whole thing for the first time. So Mm -hmm. here's this. Here's that. Here's who Javi is. Here's who Jacob is. And that that you said, you know, it seems like there were sort of things were sort of whitewashed or there were things that were um, probably intentionally omitted. Uh, And so Autumn says, is it typical in a PCA for a search warrant uh, to detail like other suspects? Like, is there is he beholden to the judge to give other viable suspects no in any so way what i found odd about it was that he took the steps to bring those people up so the probable cause affidavit is what evidence is there that there's probable cause that robert and or christian were connected to this so like there's no reason to bring jacob up at all hmm. you know what i mean so so what i found odd about it was that he took the steps to say and i don't remember the exact verbiage of it but it said that uh, uh, Rebecca was dating Javier's current boy, you know, her current boyfriend was Javier's cousin, Jacob. Like that didn't need to be there at all. So then it's like, so why did you choose to put it in there and then lie? He knew not only that it was not her current boyfriend that they had broken up. He also knew that Jacob had lied about it. Not that any of that had to be part of this, but it was what well, well, the strange thing was that he brought some of that stuff in. And then whitewash it. It seemed mm. to me that it was like, you know, not only is there probable cause for these guys, but it, there's probable cause that it was them and excluding all others. Like, mm. essentially, like, it couldn't be anybody else. It had to have been then. She's got her boyfriend here. She's got this person and this person. They were all, you know, they were all clear. The only person, le- I think that was part of his strategy. And I'm just, I'm not a lawyer. Mm. Uh, or a cop but but to me the way i read it was like that was part of the strategy because it was it was pretty thin case as it was Mm. uh was to be like and couldn't have been anyone else anybody else that was closer to her was was already cleared for whatever these reasons were like yeah like a sort of don't worry any question you might have had about another romantic partner or the person who was kind of at the center of the information we got. We already cleared them. I'm going to mention them to show you how confident yeah. I am that. And, so, we did and some that of them needed to be like, like you couldn't get through this without Javier, right? Because Javier was a source of information. Javier is the reason they knew about that. Well, actually, that's not true. I mean, Javier did tell Leclerc, but Robert had come in on his own also and told him about the the right. the plan for a hike. But I, I don't think you could get through it without Javier. But like the the weird mention of Jacob to me was odd. Like. There was no reason for it. It was uh, to me. It was just like he just put it in there to make sure, like this isn't a problem. Don't worry about, you know, if there's another guy because this guy's not a problem. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Teresa had said regarding the actual copies that we can look at on the website. If you knew what the handwritten initials and dates on the files meant, uh, the, oh, that's probably where, like at the top there, that's probably from like the clerk's office when they get filed. So like, 
it has to be like signed by, you know, stamped and signed that it was like received by the clerk's office when it was filed by the clerk, things like that. So I assume that's what all that is. Yeah, I would guess that's what that is. And then, of course, the signatures by the judge uh, approving the order. Gotcha. Uh, Teresa says when a case like this is picked off the shelf uh, for a cold case team, is there a standard process on where to start? Do they start? Are they supposed to just completely kind of go back to the very beginning? I don't think there's a standard practice. I think I I don't know, but I but I would imagine that they would take the case and read the full case file and see like where did it get, where did things get left off? Why did they hit a you know? In in this case, they would say okay. So when Leclerc shelled it in 2007, why did he give up on it? You know what happened? Then you could backtrack and see. Well, the now you would think maybe it was like well, his he really thought it was Robert and Christian. To the point where they executed the search warrants and interviewed them and took their DNA and all this stuff, and then after receiving all that, that's when he dropped the when he when he suspended the investigation. So maybe maybe he was barking up the wrong tree. Might have been a place where you might want to thought to go, but it seems like they just picked it up and were like, "Well, he must have been on the right track. Let's just keep going down this track." Okay, but just to um, come back to, I see Montana in the chat kind of talking about like this idea of you pointing out in the episode that Leclerc did have the sector data. He references it in the Mm -hmm. affidavit. And at that time, the sector data is also being used as a pointing towards guilt. Um, Mm -hmm. If you were a cold case investigator and you read that probable cause, you would say, well, here are some of the things we definitely know we need. Um, First of all, we absolutely need those cell records. We see that that this is damning information. We see that the cell sector is damning information. We got to, you know, those are those would be one would assume priorities. Is it possible that the cold case team did look through the file to try to find that sector data so that they could show just how damning it was and then they just couldn't find it? And so then they were like, no, we don't have it. And so it's not that they aren't hiding the fact that the sector data, when actually analyzed points in the other direction, that it was just an accident or that it was just they just couldn't find it. So they didn't pursue it. Look, anything's possible, but no. Like, there, there's, there's no way they... I'm getting mixed signals I, from you. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't say no, that's impossible. Anything's possible. But to me, what we see in that in this PCA confirms what I said before, when there were people out there like, you're a conspiracy theory, and you don't know that they actually saw it. You don't know that they actually analyzed it. You don't know that they had it interpreted. And then we see, yup, yes, they did. They got it. Willis got it. He talked to the person from Verizon about what it meant, relayed that to LeClaire. LeClaire took in that information and then put it in his probable cause affidavit. 100%. He had the sector data. They had it analyzed. There was not only was he copied to it, but it was discussed and relayed to him what they thought it meant. And he put it in there. And then he goes up on the stand and says, no, we never had it. I never got it. Hmm. I don't, I never had anybody get it on my behalf. I don't know. Like it's there's right. no way. And and there's no and, and I don't think there's any there's any way, especially because LeClaire in a lot of ways to me seems like he was just not great at his job. And he also was cutting some corners. Bodmer to me seems like he was a get a conviction at all costs crook. Like like he was lying and twisting and manipulating. Like we hear what he you know his interview with Sarah Honaker and how he tried to twist that. We hear what he did with, with Chad Burnham, who you know goes from the only gun Robert might've had at the time of the crime was maybe a shotgun. Cause there was a shotgun out there. No, he definitely didn't have a handgun gets that all the way to, 
oh, he for sure had a Glock at this, you know, it, you know, before the before the murders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bodmer's a snake, in my opinion. Leclerc's an idiot, in my opinion. <laughs> um, I, I mean, if <laughs> wow, uh, <sighs> that's my opinion. And uh, as a, anyway, um, but there's no way that Bodmer. And, and the rest of the cold case unit looked at this file, looked at that probable cause affidavit. I mean, that's an important the, document. We can agree that the PCA. Yes, it's a hugely that's an important, important document. document. That is not like, well, we got this, this and this. But wait, quick, let me look at this other thing. That no, seems like a hugely important document in yeah. the process of this. And case. it was made very clear that a big part of the reason they thought there was probable cause when the thing was shelved, when the investigation was shelved. Was because of that sector data. All, yeah, there's so much cell phone stuff being discussed in the affidavit. Yeah. So the idea that they just didn't know it was there, no way. And the fact that LeClaire gets on the stand and says that they never got it and he never got it and that he doesn't recall ever telling anybody else to get it, that is coaching. for. In, in my opinion, that is 100% coaching from the district attorney. He knew those questions were coming up and he knew how he was going to answer them. Uh, because it couldn't be clearer that he had them. And so the defense technically had the opportunity to pull that PCA from discovery and say, I understand you're saying this. Do you see right here that you yourself wrote this PCA calling out the sector data, calling out that you had a conversation about it? And this is a huge issue. Well, I don't think that the defense knew what because they hadn't seen it. Remember, I'm gonna put my hand down now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and. Well, I don't think that the defense knew they had they hadn't seen it, and he doesn't say sector data in there. Okay, he just like you have to put this puzzle together because what he says is that Willis or Wills, the uh, the detective that mm-hmm. we know pulled it, his only involvement in the case is, right. is it was this. Right. He wasn't he wasn't doing anything or you know earlier in the case, and he says that he spoke with this Joseph Murphy. From Verizon, we see that Joseph Murphy was contacted before by Bump and Saro. He Bump talked to him in September of 2006, but not Wills. So we know that Wills is the one that 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 filed the subpoena for the sector data. We know that he's the one that that talked to them. We know that he copied it, and we know that when he says that, based on the cell phone records, that it's unlikely that that the 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 court um, the court person the uh, i don't remember what his title was um told him it's unlikely that they were north of tower 745 the only way they could come to that conclusion is the fact that they hit 745 sector 2 which is the one that points south of the south of the tower but now imagine you had never seen the sector data you don't know who wills mm. is mm. you know it, it wasn't like it just jumped out of the page right like that it was just it was it, we're because we've seen it we're able to decipher what he was talking about. Okay, okay, understood. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Uh, okay. So moving on to. Uh Sarah's question. Sarah says, was the PCA we heard related to the search warrant and the DNA swabs? Yes. Okay. And lots and lots. I saw this in the chat as well. Chad, I was not ignoring you. Just um, know that many, many people also put this into the Facebook follow up like uh, Emmett and Rachel and Jen- a couple of Jennifer's Courtney Bridget. Um, I'm going to read Emmett's. Uh, but Emmett says, obviously, the chance of LeClaire facing any consequences for lying in the affidavit is laughable. And I know you're not a lawyer, but is it possible that evidence obtained from a warrant issued under false pretenses could be thrown out on appeal? If so, what items of evidence do you think could potentially get thrown out? And why didn't and Jason also said, why didn't the defense use this in an appeal? Uh, so the answer is it could. And as you as you astutely pointed out, I'm not an attorney, but I've been re- somebody had just recently on the fan page posted an article where appeals were being won and evidence was being thrown out because of exactly this, because they were they found out that there was that there were there was misinformation in the affidavit for the search warrant that obtained the evidence. Uh, and so it it can come into they call it fruit of the poisonous tree. Right. So. The only reason that they knew that Christian's DNA was on the business card was because they got his DNA as a result of this warrant. Mm. So it would, if and I, I doubt it's even probable this would be the case because that you know judges will always, especially when they already got a conviction, will find plenty of other reasons. To say, well, they could have done this or they could have done this. But based on my understanding of the letter of the law, if he had lied in the affidavit to get the search warrant, then that could mean that the search warrant then becomes invalid, which would then mean any evidence obtained from the search warrant would be thrown out. So then we go back to, we hadn't covered it yet, but you know, in 2016, the search warrant then uh, after the, after the arrest, when they go back and they try which or even the, the warrant for the arrest, all of that in contained par- as part of that probable cause evidence that was obtained from this probable cause affidavit so that if that didn't exist they wouldn't they wouldn't get it so you see what i mean it, it mm-hmm. can you, you can back it up and say everything they got the problem is they didn't get anything the only thing they well, got from this that's that was the question was, was the DNA. christian's dna and christian's fingerprint which later on at the third analyst to look at it claimed that that Christian's fingerprint matched the matched the business card. So technically speaking, the way I understand it, yes, there is a world where those two things could be thrown out and then that could overturn the conviction. What would end up happening then was they would find a new way to write a probable cause affidavit and they would get it and then they would pull it and then they would try them again, which I would love to see happen because knowing what we know now, there's no way they win this trial. Mm. But I, I think I, I have to go on with you with that, though, is they didn't find much from this because a lot of this information that they used as a crux of their case was already, they already had. Yeah. So I don't know that it changes the opinion of the court. The, well, the, in my in, in my the, not enough for a judge to overturn it. The big thing to me would be imagine if they went to trial and they did not have 
Christian's fingerprint or DNA on that business card. In a trial that had 10 days of deliberation before they finally got their guilty verdict, and that was with his DNA and fingerprints being on an item that was at the crime scene area, mm-hmm. when he, a spot that he said he had never been, take that away, and I think it could change the outcome of the trial uh, and yes. therefore could overturn it. Now, again, all that being said, I don't think that's probably very likely to happen here. Right. Um, but it, it's possible. Okay. Does that make okay. sense? Sure. Yeah. And uh, shout out to Birthday Rachel, who also asked about, you know, what evidence was actually used and that was actually fruitful uh, within this. And you've answered that. So thanks for that. Well, and you're going to hear in this week's episode, too, there was the prosecutor in his closing arguments just took some big swings at uh, at some at some stuff that means nothing that he made out to mean something. Mm hmm. I'm really looking forward to those closing arguments. Uh, and I know a lot of people are, too. Um, Kate H., I know you've been with me on this. From I'm like, give me those arguments. I want to hear what the actual attorneys wrapped up with um, and opened with, to be honest with you. I would also uh, love to hear that. But um, So uh, Derek says, not a question, but a comment. I don't think we can hang our hat on the Verizon Court Order Compliance employee not being a tower engineer. Title doesn't always equal skill set. For example, a podcast host talking about arson investigations sounds strange on the surface if someone doesn't know your background. Not saying the Verizon guy is a tower engineer, but we can't immediately dismiss it. Regardless, great episode. What a clown show they were running. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, that and we had because somebody made a thread about this. Uh, I think uh, listener Lynn on the fan page saying that, you know, they think that they would have had the date. And several people chimed in who work in this field that are like court compliance officers for different companies. And also the same thing, like their job is to make sure they're kind of a liaison to make sure that the subpoenas are are responded to. They get the right information. Uh, Their job is not to understand the information. Um, That being said, it's that it's possible that this person came up the ranks, maybe used to be a tower engineer. That is possible. Uh, I don't think that's the case because we would have seen him seen them at trial, probably Hmm. because they were the original ones. and. So, you know, they they went with other cell phone experts instead of an expert from Verizon. Um, But again, I think that also plays into they didn't want the sector data coming out because, because, again, and I know there's all these arguments about about what the sector data means. Also, we talked about some of that stuff last week. But here's the thing. What was presented to the jury was that the last tower that Robert and Christian hit was the one at the Bighorn site, which is down 74. They're able to paint this picture. They hit this tower, then this tower, then that tower. They're headed to the crime scene. When the truth of the matter is, the last tower that they hit was Tower 705 back in the valley. And that's what I think they didn't want to. And it could be, listen, maybe, maybe you know, I, I, I mentioned that, you know, I disagree with completely with what, you know, Ed thinks is a possibility there. Um, uh, and, and Mike doubt our expert concurred with that as well. Um, but the fact is that's very complicated stuff. Like you guys have said last week, when I get into the sector data, that some people are like, give me more, give me more. And other people are like, this is Greek to me. I don't want to hear any of this. It's complicated. So I think what the prosecution didn't want the jury to hear was that they hit this tower down here. And then they hit this tower back up here. That's right. pointed this way. Right. Because they could make whatever inference they wanted they wanted to out of that. Right. 
Uh, uh, but as far as is this guy in his skill set, I, I, you're right. I don't know. Maybe this person used to be. I can tell you that the position they were in is not that of an of of a tower engineer. That's not their job at being a court compliance officer. Um, and I'll also point out the the even the way Leclerc worded it. Remember, we we had said in the sector data that that last call started on seven forty five two and then immediately switched over to seven o five sector one. And that was kind of the big contention because 7452 points south. And we said, you know, yeah, but you can be on the other side of the tower. You can be north of that sector and still catch it. But then it's going to switch to the stronger one, which is what it did. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we showed, you know, know, there's a million reasons. There's a million case studies out there that show that that's the case. You can get on the other side. And even what they wrote in there was that the person, this Joseph Murphy, said that it is highly unlikely that they were north of the tower. and. You can read that as being like, oh, they must have been south of the tower. But also, if you read what he's saying, he's not he's not even saying it's impossible to be north of the tower and make that connection. They just said it was unlikely. But I think that and I and I think part of the confusion why he didn't go any further with it is because they knew that it switched over to Tower 705 at that point. OK, uh, I just wanted to shout out Chris in the chat. Who, uh, because because you've said several times over the course of the season um, that Leclerc shelved the investigation that was suspended. Um, I think Chris is just wondering, like, how do we know that? Like, what does that documentation look like? Is there like a file that's like stamped, you know, suspended as of blank day? Or is it just that it doesn't seem like anything was worked on after that going forward? No, no like like other documents in the file after uh, fall of 2007. Little, like literally say suspended. The okay. investigation is suspended on it. And then there are there and it is referenced a few times too. Um by by I couldn't cite to him right now, but there's part there's there's spots where where Bodmer noted that Leclerc suspended the investigation. He uses the word shelved the investigation okay. a couple times back then. And do you feel like, you know, I know you've said, you know, this would be a good opportunity for him to continue to try a different direction. Um but is this the kind of thing that we see when police decide they found their person, even if they can't prove it? And so they just give up on everything else and say, well, now I feel like I know who did it and no one cares and I don't have enough. So I can't because I so, so I can't do I can't make an arrest. So I'm not going to work on it anymore because we all know who it is. And until we can prove it's that person, we don't have we, we're not going to move forward on anything. I, I think I think that's possible. Um, I would be I think pretty irresponsible at this point if 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 that if that's what was going on right if if leclerc was like i know it was these guys i did the search and then i got you know whatever information i got from the search and just be like ah, don't have enough to prove it and just give up that is it possible yeah is it responsible no is it likely i don't think so i, I i'm thinking more likely that and this is just my opinion that when he did the search and they and they went into the house. They found the big thing is they have no way to look where he's at in 2007. There's no way to put a 40 caliber or 10 millimeter gun in their hands. Mm-hmm. No one had one. No one had access to one. They had no way. So, so how can you, you know, so I, I think it's very likely he's like, I don't know. I just like threw his hands up. But again, this is my opinion, but it's like, there's some stuff that points towards them. But there's not enough to prove it was them, and maybe it wasn't them. I mean, how did they get a gun? And so he just gave up, which also isn't very responsible. 
Right. Well, I guess I just was I'm thinking about cases where we've heard and even just in my own experience where uh, you hear that the cops say, oh, we know who did it. But we're never going to move forward on this case until someone says something or someone comes forward. Yeah, I feel like happens. that's something a fra- refrain we hear a lot. And because of work you've done and other uh, wrongful conviction stuff that I've become aware of over the years, that always makes me nervous because it always makes me wonder, do you know who did it? Like, are you up right bumped up against the edge of, you know, who did it, but you can't prove it and it's not worth investigating anyone else? Or is this like you have tunnel vision and because you can't get the evidence you want for the people you've decided you've done who've done it? You have other cases you need to work on, so you're just not going to do anything on it. To me, it's the latter. You, it's it's more likely the latter that they have, you know, they have blinders on. They're convinced they've got the right people. They're unable to find proof of it. When to me, logic would tell you, well, if I can't, if I've if I've trying everywhere and I can't find the proof, maybe it's because there is no proof. Maybe right. it's because I mean, look at this case. The whole time they're sitting there with solid DNA profiles on Becky's sock that don't match them. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Go, you know, look further into that. See if you can figure out who that is. Yeah. We haven't talked about that DNA on the sock for I, a second. I wonder, too, if it was suspended because they got to a point where maybe they, who knows what they actually thought, if they thought these guys did it or not. But they get to a point where they're like, we, we, we don't have enough evidence against these guys. But we also know that we have no leads at this point, mm-hmm. and and that's mm-hmm. that's part of their and their botched investigation that they don't they didn't have any other leads to go off of. So they're like, if it's not these guys, then we don't know where to go from here, and they just let it hang. Uh, yeah, it, but my issue comes back to that sock. You know what I mean? Where it's like because they did have another lead, like they had DNA, and and as I'm saying that, I'm trying to remember what year if if that if that profile came later. When they when they got the DNA off the, DNA off the sock, um, if that's the case, that wouldn't be. But I mean, again, that's another avenue they could have gone. But say once they have, okay, we can't seem to prove a case against these guys, but we have this other DNA that is a strong enough profile to be run through CODIS. Maybe let's run through the through CODIS. Instead, they're like, we've got these guys that we're sure did it. Here's DNA. Let's. This is where we nail them. And they're like, no, it's not theirs. And they're like, oh, well, I guess we're just we'll never solve it then. Because they're only looking, you know, I mean, it's like they're only have those blinders on. They're only looking at one set of suspects. And that's a problem, as Jim Clemente says all the time, when you shift into a suspect based investigation too early, when it still should be an evidence based investigation. When you when you when you shift over to suspect base, then you're only looking for evidence to convict that suspect. Right. But he did. It seemed like I mean, he wasn't focusing on those guys for such a long time. In fact, didn't focus much on them in the beginning at all. So there was uh, opportunities missed to either damn or clear them much, much earlier in the case. So, I mean, it seems like he was sort of reaching out and trying to, you know, follow whatever strings, many of which seem to involve Javier uh, and his mm-hmm. fascination with his sexuality. But I, I want to go back to the the gun and this idea of the evidence, um, because Teresa did have a question around this shotgun that we hear about, the shotgun that his dad stored elsewhere, was it ever recovered and looked into as a possible weapon in John's death? And and could they have even determined that at all based on the fire and whatever evidence they did have? Was it just like, we'll never know which gun, it, what kind, exactly what gun it was. We'll never know that. 
We just all we know is that it was this kind of gun. Yeah. So uh, w- with a shotgun like that, it's not like um like like a pistol where you can match like striations from the barrel and uh and things like that. With a, with a shotgun, it's shooting you know a, a bunch of BBs out of it. So there's no way that you can, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, but I don't think there's any way that you can like match the shot from a shotgun to a particular shotgun. Not that, I, not that I believe there is. You may be able to match wadding. You know, they did say the wad was still in John, which is disgusting. But there's a little piece of plastic that comes out behind the pellets. Mm-hmm. You may be able to match striations on. I don't know for sure. That's that's something. But but on the other hand of that too, a a 12 gauge shotgun, and I could be wrong, is is the Probably the most popular, most owned firearm, yeah. most readily yeah, available really firearm in the United States. Mm-hmm. It so th- just because of that, I mean, that doesn't put you know one and one together. Yeah, yeah, and and in th- the fact, the only reason that we know it was a twelve gauge was because the wadding uh, was in John. If it mm-hmm. had just been the pellets, that could have come no out idea. of a twenty gauge, a twelve gauge, wow. a sixteen gauge. It could have come out of any shotgun. So yeah, okay. so. Unfortunately, there was no there's no way to tie that down. But again, they couldn't they couldn't put that in their hands. They, they said, that, you know, that shotgun, that, you know, they did own that shotgun. But his dad said that it was stored somewhere else. It was stored at a, stored at another house. So they couldn't even put the shotgun in his hand. Could they have? But there and there wouldn't have been a utility knowing that you can't exactly match it. The fact that it was already admitted, quote unquote, admitted to the cops that this shotgun existed and that Christian's dad knew where it is, they could have tried to include a search warrant for that random person's house to try to actually hold the gun in their hand. Be like, this is the gun that there we've all been talking about. Beyond that, we know we now have proven that it exists, but we still don't know if this had anything to do with the crime. I think the best they could have done is and what they should have done was investigate that further. Like, okay, so there's a 12 gauge. So he says he stored another house. Let's look into let's find out where was it stored? Who else knew it was there? Let's talk to other witnesses about, you know, they just never did it. I think the fact that that there was no 40 caliber or 10 millimeter in existence anywhere in their world, that was it was like, oh, it doesn't matter if we can show that maybe they had a ch- uh, access to a shotgun because we can't put the pistol in their hand. Right. And you know, part so. of that process would probably be if if John Smith said, these are the guns I have. Then Leclerc would could have just gone to that system that you talk about that's really only available to law enforcement to say, oh, yeah, well, this all matches like he didn't he, he didn't leave yeah. out a, a, a Glock or something when he told right. me that he owned those guns. You would imagine yeah. that would be done, but that yeah, wouldn't it, be in, that wouldn't be in discovery because that's considered a privacy thing. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that, but but probably probably not. And And certainly if he had done that, it didn't give him any fruitful results or they would have definitely wrote about that. You know, you'd see that in the report or in the trial or somewhere that, you know, we know that he did have a certain gun registered, registered in his name. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 
requirements. 18 plus. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Uh, real quick, somebody just in the chat mentioned uh, Delphi, and I just remembered something, maybe reminded me of something that I wanted to say in the housekeeping section. Uh, our buddy Nick from True Crime Garage mm-hmm. just released his first book. Um, so for anybody, if anybody is interested in the, the Delphi case, uh, the book, is, I believe it's called the Delphi murders, look up Nick Edwards. Um, but I believe it's called the Delphi murders by Nick Edwards. Nick is just NIC, but the, the book is out and available and it's also on audible, not read by Nick, but the guy who reads it, it sounds like Robert Stack. It's a, he's a very, very good narrator. It's great. I downloaded it on Saturday and I've already listened to the entire book. Um, so just want to show that you know Nick. Nick doesn't even know I'm doing this, but just just so you guys know, if you're interested in the case, Nick wrote a really good book on it. It's out now. You can get it on Audible or anywhere you get your books. Great. I also recommend the podcast Admissible. It's really really good and it's infuriating and talks about people wrongfully convicted on bad evidence and a person who is a bad actor working for the state of Massachusetts. Who's the host of that? I've never heard of that. Um, I don't know. I can't. I don't know the host name, but my buddy Ellen Horn, who used to produce on Radio Lab, produced it. And um, it's it's really good. Admissible. Admissible. It's just very interesting. It's very much up all of our alley in terms of like, here's how people get convicted on stuff um, that is appalling when you find out what's happening behind the scenes. Okay, I want to move on to uh, uh, Teresa's question. uh, Can what was in the PCA for the subsequent arrests? Uh, I'll have to I've read through it a long time ago, but I'll, I'll break it back down. But it's a lot of the same. And then, and then, you know, the, the DNA and the fingerprint stuff that we got after that, but, um, I'll go through that. I probably won't do a full episode on it, but I'll go through and bullet point it next time we come, uh, we do a follow-up. Okay. Gotcha. And Kate was wondering too, if, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase Kate, but do we know if there's like a, a consistency with the judge, like through any of this, like, is this the, the judge who heard the first, uh, case when, when, before they dropped the charges, was that judge, the person who listened uh, who was who who ruled on the the second case? Was that person the person who would have ruled on? Yes, you get a search warrant. Like, are is there a consistency there at all? I don't think so. I feel like I remember even the the judge from the first arrest to the judge in the the second arrest and trial. I think those were two different judges, and I don't think it was the same one in 2006 that signed the warrant either. But I'm not. I'll, I'll have to get back to you on that. Okay. So Chris says. Put yourself in Detective Leclerc's shoes. Where do you think the focus of the investigation should have been a year after the crime? Is the implication of this episode that the probable cause is no good? Why? They see her for the first time in weeks with a weird hiking story, and then the next day they talk about a weird paintball story? Yeah, uh, real quick, uh, Robert's wife, B just popped into the chat and, oh, and said B. that they were, they were, in fact, different judges. Are they asking if there would have been probable cause without the... No, in- no, I mean, I think... Chris is just sort of, I mean, this is obviously somebody who's pushing back there. I think they're being defensive of Detective LeClaire saying, put yourself in his shoes. What do you think the focus should have been a year after the crime, if not these guys, if not this? And then is the implication of the episode that the probable cause is no good? Like you pointing out the problems with it. Do you feel like, you know, 
throwing the baby out with the bathwater is that like it was good enough, um, was no good at all. First of all, there's no implication. I'm just putting out to you what it was and what the problems with it were. But no, I mean, should they have searched Robert and Christian's house? Yep. Should they have got their DNA and fingerprints? Yep. Should they have done it honestly and within the law? Yep. That's my issue. Mm. Um, But no, I don't. I don't. My frustration comes in in the fact that he's lying in the probable cause affidavit to get it when I don't think he needed to to begin with. Of a compounded issue in the fact that he should have done every they should have verified everything they said or attempted to verify or disprove everything they said a year before that. And we we may not have been in this position. You know, they 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 pull Robert's bank you know, they, they never go get the receipts from the uh from the AMPM. They they're they're too late to get the surveillance video um from that. They eventually pull Robert's bank records and there's no credit card debit card charge there. But it's a it's a ninety nine cent chapstick. You know there would have been cash from what we heard from Marty. Sounds like he paid him cash and he paid him back for it. So there you know there that record wouldn't have been there. They never interviewed Christian's aunt, who they said might have been home that whole time. They never looked for surveillance. But, but you know all these things that they should have. You know they didn't talk to Sarah right afterwards. They didn't talk to Jackie right afterwards. They didn't talk to Marty. All the things they should have done. To see if we even needed to be in this position to begin with, to see if their alibis would have been verified back then. Um, but no, I don't. Th- I mean, the implication is there's no implication. The truth is he lied in the probable cause affidavit, and that's what our job is to do: is to show you how this case was built and how they did it, and he lied about it. But again, yeah, they should have checked their DNA and fingerprints. They should have searched their house. They probably should have done it before this, uh, well before this. But that doesn't change the fact that you're that that we don't stand by and let it be okay that law enforcement or prosecutors cheat and lie and cut corners in the system. Do your job and do it right. And, and do you know how like how substantial something needs to be for them to get this? Because I don't feel seeing the Delphi PCA on the arrest, mm-hmm. there was nothing substantial in there. So I can't imagine that you have to have anything crazy substantial to obtain a search warrant. Probably not. I mean, that's a whole other discussion. I, I I would disagree that there wasn't much substantial in the Delphi one, but I don't. You wouldn't have needed much. I think they could have just they could have just pointed out that when Robert said he hadn't talked talked to her for a while, then the phone record showed that he did. The fact that their phones are out of service and the fact that the the cell tower cell tower pings seemed to show him that show him going in that direction, mm-hmm. and there was a planned you know supposedly a planned hike. That that probably would have been enough. You're right. It doesn't take a whole lot. Um, somebody somebody in the chat a while back had said, um, you know, a few a, a little while ago had said after reading the PCA, it seems like that they could get probable cause on a ham sandwich, which is about right. It doesn't mm-hmm. take a whole lot. Yeah, I forget. I remember finding out what the ham sandwich true history was like they could ignite a ham sandwich. I can't remember who said it and under what context, but it's really lasted and now we're also PCAing a ham sandwich. I appreciate that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, and 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 in terms of the you know people responding in the chat that that you know some people think the hiking story is weird, but not the paintball story. Some people don't even think that the hiking story is weird. Um, for me, what that brought up and why I wanted to include this was once again just un- like just understanding. And I and I it brings me back to what you were saying too, Zach, which I loved 
earlier where you said, you know, taking it out and listening to it with an open mind and not knowing what Bob is bringing to the table. Of course, it sounds like really, as they say these days, sus. Uh, It definitely seems like, oh, shoot, we need to follow up on all of this. Um, That being said, this just reminds me again so much of like, I totally understand why people hold on to this idea of like, it's so strange that Robert hadn't talked to Becky and that suddenly he was supposed to go for a hike and that he didn't somehow go. And it's just the timing is just too weird. It's very suspicious. Um, I understand that. I truly do. But like, that's why stuff like this happens. It, it, it is. Sometimes it means something. And sometimes it's bad timing. Again, people, it was like, oh, my God, had non talked to Hay the night before she was murdered. It's right there in her diary. It's his phone number. They spoke. That's a big deal, you know. And then you add more cell tower evidence where you're like, yes, these people were, you know, these guys were clearly here burying a body. Like I, that case is so it was is so life changing for me in the sense that because of undisclosed, it broke down so much. Like here's how all of this happens, and when you look back on it, you can see how it all went down. And it's been a really good lens for me to understand stuff like this better. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's the same exact story and these guys were set up and they aren't, you know. But it's like, yeah, he, this is bad. Like, it's really unfortunate that he was going to go on a hike. Bob, I can tell you're reading the chat. I'm listening to. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I understand why it feels significant that Robert hadn't seen her in a while, except for he had seen her the night before. Um but hadn't seen her for a while and suddenly he's in the picture again and then she's get that she gets killed. I totally get that. For me that it's that's not enough against everything else that we have weighed and I just feel like this happens all the time. As people well, find themselves in the spotlight and then people are like, "Yeah, but the business card." And I'm like, "I know. This sucks." But those things are not when you weigh them against what we actually know, it, for me it, it crumbles. Well, I think it was Wendell Mass, one of our listeners, had, had said it best that, and it's and he's one hundred percent right. Were it not for for strange coincidences, there wouldn't be any wrongful convictions. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean the the, the whole reason Ednon or in, in any of these cases, Ed that we've covered, you know, that Jesse, all of them, there was a weird coincidence. Is the whole reason that the wrongful like if there wasn't, you know, if if it was just that. They they had never made plans to go on the hike, then they wouldn't even be suspects. There wouldn't be there would be nothing connecting them at all to this, and they, like that coincidence is what brought them in. And so you have like that, and then yeah, the business card is, is out there. Like I agree, like I I totally get why they were looked at. Why they but when when you start digging into the evidence and everything starts crumbling apart, someone along the lines would have been like, okay, we're barking up the wrong tree, and they just never did. Right. Okay, Uh, I want to just move on to some sort of general stuff. Um, Teresa, just throwing out the Brandon Kugler harrison request again, the audio or the transcript. Yes, so I'm going to put that out for all of you guys listening to this. Well, if you listen to this on Friday, then you'll hear this Friday. Uh, And if you're in the YouTube chat right now, you'll know. I'm just going to put I've got the the actual interview edited, redacted, ready to go up. I just have to record an intro for it. And it's in it's just been a hectic couple of weeks. I'm just going to put it out without an intro. So I'll put it out as a bonus today, Wednesday. So if you're listening to this on Friday, Wednesday, uh, it's out there without me doing any intro for it. It's just going to be out there for you to listen to the the later uh, Brandon episode or interview. Okay, cool. 
Uh, I just wanted to shout out Judith, who brings back, as Judith says, somebody mentioned neighborhood issue. And I actually don't know if that's a reference to other posts in Facebook or if that came up in one of the recent episodes or even just in this last episode. It didn't ring a bell for me. But Judith says, I agree. But we have really never heard the neighbors being closely looked at apart from initial witnesses, etc. So I, I think Judith just sort of representing that some folks just feel an absence of information about the community, about who was looked yeah. into up there, about who everyone was, what their backgrounds were, just in terms of like proximity, did that get fully exhausted? No. And, and even the, and we're going to get into this when we get an alternate suspect, but there was a lot going on up there just that day. Uh, right. And it is, it's very clear there were to me, their blinders were on. I think I think Leclerc initially thought had to be Javier. And once he figured out the phone records um, uh, uh, cleared Javier. Then it was must be Robert, and, and and there was just never. I don't think there was ever serious thought given to the fact that it could have had that Becky had nothing to do with this. That Becky wasn't the target of this. Becky was collateral damage. Right. That's pretty much all I have. Um, you're starting the closing argument coverage next week. Is that what you said earlier? This week on Sunday we're going to yeah, cover. On Sunday, sorry. Um, so I went through the. It's 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 a it's just a weird length. So the the state's closing arguments are thirty nine pages long, and originally I thought I'll just I'm just going to read the closing arguments. So you can hear every word. It's too long for that. It'll take me too long to to read all that. So I'm going to break it down. And then I was, but then you have then Dolan gives closing, and then Moore gives closing, and then the state gives a rebuttal. And I just you know Dolan's closing is even longer than the state's closing, and so I'm just going to. This week will be the state's closing argument, and then next week we'll get into the defense closing argument, and then we'll do the rebuttal, uh, and then we'll then we'll have Nicole on to talk about the um, the uh, or to, ha- to have her present her case for why she thinks that Robert and Christian are guilty. Okay. So all of that's coming up. We're going to get through a piece at a time. The if the probable cause affidavit made you mad, wait till you read the closing arguments. Uh, and with that make sure you tune in on Sunday and unless you guys have anything else I think we're going to wrap this thing up nope I'm good me too alright so thanks everybody for tuning in make sure you tune in on Sunday and we'll talk to you next week thanks everybody bye guys NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com Our follow-up logo was created by me and all of our fonts across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnik, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. 
To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. Follow our personal accounts on social media. I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24 7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269 224 2833. However, you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. You're free to pee. I really want to nose boop a stranger. Huh. All right, shut up. Here we go. <clears throat> and issued a search warrant that ultimately led to the arrest of our. <clears throat> that uh, that I uh, we have a a, a garage cat. That has. <laughs> <laughs> Is there? Can you give us a? You, you sort of given us a. Get. You've worked hard for what you have: your money, your assets, your four hundred one k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss, and if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.